their soulmates. Welcome to the conversation on this Tuesday. I also want to welcome you to Foxhole's Black Report. We're following the latest on a Houston teacher who reportedly used her black students during a lesson on slavery and the new warning from the FBI that could protect your family. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelia Corte, plus the new goals in sight from Stacey Abrams and the current state of black politics. Political analyst Keith Boykin joins us to discuss the stories that impact our people. That's right. We're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our top conversation today. Everybody's talking about uh, the mass shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville that led to calls for gun control. Reps Justin Jones and Justin Pearson's protests at the Tennessee House of Representatives got them expelled, sparking nationwide support. Just yesterday, Jones was reinstated by the Nashville Council and celebrated by a crowd chant. Voters in District 52 elected Justin Jones to be their voice at the State House, and that voice was taken away this past week. So let's give them their voice back, and I'd call on this body to vote unanimously right now to do just that. Thank you. Councilmember Porterfield, you're recognized. Thank you, Vice Mayor. I would like to nominate Representative Justin Jones. If you are for the election of Justin Jones to be the interim successor for the vacant seat of Tennessee House District 52, you will vote aye. If not, you will vote no. Mr. Clerk, open up the machines. Votes are in. Mr. Clerk, close the machines. Take the vote. Pretty uh, celebratory move there. Some saw their expulsion as a racist double standard, which Johnson acknowledged. Pearson's vote is on April the 12th, Nikordalai. And our guest just yesterday said that, you know, she felt that they would be reinstated, and, and here we are. And reinstated unanimously. That's I right. mean, this is what democracy looks like. Mm -hmm. This is what democracy looks like. And in contrast, the attempt by the Tennessee State House Republicans, who attempted to silence their voice, well, you saw the people of Nashville really come together and come together pretty quickly yeah. to say not on our watch mm -hmm. and send them right back. Yeah, and, and I know this is all centered and based and anchor, uh, anchored in gun control, but I don't want the whole racist overtone to be lost on this with the expulsion of the two uh, young black gentlemen and they decided to keep the other rep who was a uh, white woman, mm -hmm. uh, especially in light with what has happened uh, just yesterday in uh, Kentucky. Uh, listen, we need to keep pushing uh, for this gun control uh, conversation, but we don't want to lose what has also taken place as far as this, this event uh, is, is concerned. And uh, that's, a, that's a narrative that needs to keep uh, being yeah. addressed as well. It was yeah. quite, quite clear. I mean, there are too many attempts out there to silence black voices, mm -hmm. to silence youth voices. That's and so right. the fact that, again, the people of Nashville uh, decided to fight back and unanimously agree right. to send them back. Mm -hmm. And so now the question is, will they be seated? Uh, we'll continue to follow this story. Indeed. Well, uh, community conversations about repairing and compensating for the 1921 Tulsa race massacre began on April 9th. The Beyond Apology Project manager says it's time to take action beyond apology. This community-led process aims to prioritize repairing harms that still impact Tulsans today. The public meeting will discuss data, reparation efforts, and public commitments. 
everyone is welcome to listen and learn and a report will be presented to counselors this summer. Meetings are on April 11th, 13th, May 30th, and June 13th, so mark your calendars. All right, New Cordelet, let's go to Baltimore, where Mayor Brandon Scott implemented a summer curfew after two teenagers were shot while police tried to break up a group of over 200 minors in the city's uh, Inner Harbor neighborhood. A 14-year-old and a 16-year-old were injured with one in critical condition. Police detained two suspects, one found with a loaded gun and the other with a gun matching the shooter's description. Scott stated a curfew of 9 p.m. for those under 14 and 10 p.m. for those under 17 will be enforced for the upcoming summer months. He also emphasized supporting the youth and figuring out their situations rather than just getting them off the street. I mean, what a demonstration of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've certainly seen other mayors, other elected officials call for these these curfews, but he's saying, let's not stop there, mm -hmm. right? You know, like, why are there over 200 teenagers that are out late at night, mm -hmm. you know, finding themselves in a situation where gun violence takes place? Yeah. Like, like, what is going on at home? What are the root causes that are leading to this? Yeah, I think it's a great, uh, you know, call to action and, and the whole idea of trauma trying to be uh, proactive, but you know, you can't you can't forget that these young people need resources. And I don't know if it's, I know this is a summer uh, curfew, so I don't know if there needs to be an extension of, of what's done in school, maybe like aftercare, summer care. I know sometimes there are, you know, sports programs and camps that are available. Uh, and for those programs that are already up and running, I don't know if it's a matter of letting these parents know what the resources are, what the help that they have to uh, keep their kids, mm -hmm. you know, under watch and supervision while parents do what parents have to do, even though it's summer and the kids are out. So yeah. it's about resources. And we know when it comes to resources, we need the money. Yeah. And so this is a big, huge conversation mm -hmm. that's very, very layered. But it's going to start with supporting these kids in a way to where they won't find themselves, you know, in idle time. And we have situations like this. And it's not just Baltimore either. Yeah, true. But you also can't forget that the home is the first line of defense. I agree. You know, and what's happening at home and what's not happening at home um, is a part of this issue. So I uh, will continue to track this. But uh, now on to Texas, where Texas Governor Greg Abbott is trying to pardon Daniel Perry, who was found guilty of murdering a Black Lives Matter protester in Austin, Texas in 2020. Now, Perry, an active duty U.S. Army sergeant, was driving for a rideshare company when he drove into a crowded street of protesters. And Garrett Foster was shot and killed by Perry, who claimed self-defense. Perry's attorneys argued that he had no choice but to shoot Foster. But witnesses testified that Foster never raised his rifle. Abbott slammed the jury's decision and Travis County District Attorney Jose Garza for pursuing the case and requested that the Board of Pardons and Paroles review Perry's case. You know, I, I was trying to figure out, you know, what my conversation uh, about this would be mm -hmm. because you have to push past the disappointment. You have to push past the heartbreak. You even have to push past the clear proof, 
you know, you know, everything is on video nowadays, and, and you have, you know, witnesses as far as this case is concerned, because there was a protest who saw what they saw, and you know, for their accounts and and the video and, and all that evidence to, you know, sort of kind of be mm -hmm. pushed aside and disregarded as if it doesn't exist or as if it didn't happen, or the fact that you're taking the liberty to change this narrative. Mm -hmm. It's like first of all, you have to take that in, and then you have to find a way to combat that. Um, because obviously he is being believed over people who actually saw what happened yeah. and were affected by what happened. Yeah, and it's also important to remind people that, you know, Texas is an open carry state. Yeah. Uh, Texas is also a stand your ground state. And so mm -hmm. the fact that there is a conviction in a state where, you know, it's open carry, Stand your ground laws are pretty tough, mm -hmm. right? Those are hard to beat. And right. so the fact that this jury convicted him and now the, the governor of Texas wants to rewrite that conviction, rewrite right. that narrative, mm -hmm. um, you know, that is uh, it's a little disturbing. It is very disturbing. All right, let's uh, get back here to Michigan as the first black GOP chair is in hot water. This is all following statements recently made on Twitter. This comes after the Michigan Republic Party faced backlash for using Holocaust imagery to oppose restrictive gun proposals. But Chair Christina Caramo decided to double down on those comments this week saying, quote, we will not be silenced as the Democratic Party, the party who fought to enslave black Americans and currently fights to murder unborn children, attempt to disarm U.S., or, or, attempt to disarm us, that is. Our second amendment was put in place to protect us from aspiring tyrants. That's the end of that quote. In Houston, a press conference was held to call out the actions of a teacher who singled out her only black student during a lesson on slavery. Now, students at Cowan Middle School in Houston claimed that their history teacher glamorized the Confederate flag and told the class it had, quote, nothing to do with slavery. And history got it wrong. Days later, students claim that the same teacher was accused of using black students as an example of an enslaved person on the run and singled out only the black students when teaching about slave auctions. You know, we see a lot of video in the court of lie where, you know, you know, students have you know, obviously violated their teachers, you know, the, the, the disrespect, the violence toward the teachers. But I've also seen just as many videos where these teachers have spazzed out, have tapped out, and have resorted to just some unbelievable ways in the classroom that really, you know, if they don't bring physical harm to students, bring emotional uh, and mental harm to students. And the last one I just saw, uh, you know, one of the students uh, was claiming that the teacher mistreated them because they were black and she completely spazzed out mm -hmm. and uh, to the point where they were they were scared and running out of the classroom. So, you know, yeah, we want to we, we want to talk about the students, you know, and, and how horrible that is with sometimes the way that they go about um, treating uh, their their teachers. But there are some teachers out here who, you know, really do not need to be in the classroom. You're absolutely right. And if these accusations are true, mm -hmm. shame on that teacher. That's right. You know, shame on that teacher for for creating a classroom environment mm -hmm. that diminishes and belittles 
uh, uh, these young black kids mm -hmm. in their class. I mean, you know, this is the stuff that people carry with them for a lifetime. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's good to see that the parents are responding swiftly. There are a number of activists on the ground in Houston that mm -hmm. are responding to this, taking this seriously, you know, and, you know, you would think that, you know, this teacher after this first incident, you know, would have got themselves together. My understanding is from the story that there have been subsequent incidents uh, as well. And so, Repeat you know, offender here. It's just, it's just another sign that the, the, the climate on mm -hmm. school campuses is reflective mm -hmm. of the climate that we're seeing in communities across the country, right? We're seeing this, you know, uptick mm -hmm. in anti-blackness and, and racism, and that has an effect on uh, our kids and our schools. Let's stay in the classroom for a moment and go to a middle school teacher in Florida who is facing charges after police say she organized her own fight club inside of her classroom. Now, according to court reports, 23-year-old Angel Footman organized the club at Griffin Middle School, that's in Tallahassee. It uh, details several sixth graders being allowed to, quote, scrap it out. The students told officers that Footman conducted the fights under the conditions of 30 seconds. No screaming, no yelling, no phones. Yet another example of, you know, teachers off the rail in, in, in this uh, incident. Yeah, where's the teachers union at? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, you know, teachers unions represent the interests of teachers and hopefully the interests of students, right? right? But, you know, where's their public statement on this? Is, is, is this the kind of teacher that they want to protect? Uh, or do, are we going to see our unions, teachers unions, stand up and say, you know what? Zero tolerance, you know, for teachers that are behaving in this manner, mm -hmm. that are enabling violence in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Well, moving on, uh, two-time Georgia Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams is heading back to school. Howard University, the historically black college in Washington, D.C., announced that Abrams is joining their faculty as the inaugural Ronald W. Walters Endowed Chair for Race and Black Politics. She expects to start in September. Abrams has experienced, has experienced as an adjunct professor at her alma mater, Spelman College in Atlanta. Very cool. And look, I want to give all the props in the world to uh, Howard University. I think they are just, you know, uh, steps uh, ahead and or above uh, in regards to the progress of the HBCUs. It's known as the Mecca. They've had some great appointments uh, over the past uh, few years, the different deans and colleges and things. I'm still concerned about the condition of those young people. How are those dorms looking? Has that been addressed? Has there, has there been money set aside to really, you know, address those issues with mold and, and all the other, uh, you know, unsanitary conditions that the students were protesting about just a little while ago. So mm -hmm. it's great to see and hear and read about all these wonderful things happening at Howard, all the sporting championships and titles and things of that nature. But how are, what's happening with the, the lifestyle and the well-being of, of the students in particular, the ones in those yeah. dorms? who were suffering not too long ago from, from those horrible mm -hmm. conditions that we, we were seeing. It's also great to see Stacey Abrams, you know, sort of out and about and, you know, in the spotlight again, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that was a pretty, you know, stunning loss. Mm -hmm. uh, this was her second attempt to run for governor of Georgia and to see that, you know, she's still keeping that door open, but in the meantime, she's doing lots of other Staying things. Busy. She was an international observer in the mm -hmm. Nigerian election and, you know, she has a new book coming out. I mean, there are there are other things that she's doing and I think she's setting an example yeah. for a lot of candidates that may not win 
uh, but they continue to be out yeah. there uh, and uh, representing our community well. Yeah, she remains very relevant, that's for sure. All right, coming up, a new warning today coming from the FBI. That's right. Why the agency says public charging stations are no good. Mm -mm. We'll be right back. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. All right, so there's a new survey by the Keisler Family Foundation mm -hmm. revealing that black Americans are disproportionately affected by gun violence in the United States. No surprise there. No surprise, you're right. The survey found that black adults were twice as likely as white or Hispanic adults to report having had a family member killed by a gun, including by suicide. Mm -hmm. About one in three black and Hispanic adults are concerned daily or almost daily that a family member could be a victim of gun violence. In contrast, only 10% of white adults share that concern. The survey also found that 54% of Americans had had a gun-related incident or have a family member who has. You know, Courtney, you've got to wonder, you know, uh, when you hear stats like this, mm -hmm. why is it that there are so many members of Congress, for example? Mm -hmm. And I say both Democrats and Republicans, right? Because if you're talking to, you know, talking about Senator Manchin or Senator Sinema, um, I'm not sure if they're on board with banning the assault weapons uh, in our country, but, mm -hmm. you know, why are they so committed to us being afraid? Mm -hmm. There's so, you know, when I read the survey, I couldn't help but think about how many black folks are living in fear, mm -hmm. you know, of is this going to be the day it happens to me? Is it going to be the day it happens to my family? Whether we are at a church or whether we're at the say. grocery store, you know, whether we're in the classroom, in a movie theater. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, there have been so many horrific examples of gun violence, and we haven't even talked about the uptick in suicide. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, it, it yeah. just it gets in my crawl when I think about that. Sure. Vice President Harris announced $1.7 billion in grants for over 600 community leaders to support small businesses and nonprofits impacted by the pandemic. These loans will be given to local lending institutions that serve minority communities. Lenders won't have to pay back the grants, which will support smaller institutions affected by COVID-19. Now, the Treasury Secretary said that the funds will help build a more equitable and resilient economy while expanding access to capital in financially underserved communities. And there's a new warning from the FBI. Think before you charge, soulmates. So they're saying that plugging your device into a public charging station could put your personal information at risk. So they're urging us to think twice before using a public USB charging uh, station that uh, you often find like at airports, hotels, shopping centers. But hackers can find a way to get malware and other software onto mobile devices through public charging stations all in a matter of seconds. Now the hackers can watch your keystrokes, get your passwords along with other personal and private information. I did not know this. Now experts advise mobile phone users to carry their own portable charger. 
That's right, and and you know we all carry these things, mm -hmm. really. So instead of just plugging in, instead of just plugging in using this USC, USB, you know, into the charging station in mm -hmm. airports and hotels, they're saying bring your own, mm -hmm. like, be your BYOB, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> bring your own block. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I state. like that. So you bring your own block yeah. to make sure that you charge. Don't just use this um, because otherwise, you know, you're going to be real vulnerable, and we don't want our soulmates out there being vulnerable at all. And do you, you know, I mean, the shift in how big a currency this is. Like, when right. you find one of these or when you lose one of you these, it's like your, your whole life is over. Don't lose your block. That's right. But um, it's so important. And I never thought about that. So I really appreciate um, this report because, you know, you, you you don't know if a plane has this kind of access. So you're juicing up before you before you board. And, and you're a lot of times airports, folks are conducting business, whether it be personal business or, or business business. And can you imagine all of the information that they probably are able to get a hold of? Mm -hmm. Never thought about it. Carry your own juice. Yeah, thank you, FBI. That's right. Well, LGBTQ advocacy groups and lawmakers in Florida are gearing up for another battle against Governor Ron DeSantis as he prepares to expand his don't say gay efforts. Mm. The legislature appears poised to pass an expansion to the controversial state education law restricting talk of sexual orientation and gender identity in public school classrooms. The state's parental rights in education measure, known to critics as Don't Say Gay, for its disproportionate impact on LGBTQ students and families, has been the law of the land in Florida for more than a year. As Americans are gearing up for another intensely debated presidential election, as candidates have started throwing their hats in the ring, mm. many issues that impact communities of color will also be on the ballot. So, Nicole and I were talking about issues of, like voting rights, abortion rights, black history, and transgender rights, all matters that are under attack. Here to discuss what's at stake and break down for us some of the issues is former White House aide to President Bill Clinton and author Ray against time, the politics of a darkening America. We want to welcome Keith Boykin to the conversation. Hey there, Keith. Good to see you. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Good, good, good. So, so Keith, let's start with the title of your book. Why did you name it Race Against Time, the Politics of a Darkening America? Well, Nicordelai, we are in a period of transition in this country. I'd say it's been going on for decades, but it's increased in intensity for the past 15 years or so. It's about 15 years ago when Barack Obama was elected president of the United States, the first black president of our country. Immediately, there was a backlash against that. We started to see Donald Trump with his birtherism campaign questioning Obama's birth certificate. Then we started to see efforts to suppress the voting rights uh, for African-Americans, uh, culminating with the Supreme Court decision uh, in 2013, the Shelby County v. Holder decision, which struck down key parts of the Voting Rights Act. And since that time, we've just, just seen the gradual degradation of democracy in our country. President uh, Trump wins election in, 20, uh, in 2016, defeating Hillary Clinton uh, by by the pop, by electoral college, but not by the popular vote. And then when he loses in 2020, he refuses to accept the election the election results and creates this whole cult of election denialism, uh, which is still very prevalent in the Republican Party. Uh, and the, the real central issue is that the Republican Party and conservative white America have realized that they've lost control of the majority in the future. They 
They know that by 2044, according to the Census Bureau, whites will no longer be the majority of the population in this country. So they're doing everything they can to stop that from happening. Uh, that's the reason why they're having insur- why they led the insurrection January 6. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why they continue to uh, to institute these new uh, the voting rights uh, initiatives to stop people from voting. That's the reason why they uh, are, are going to places like Jackson, Mississippi, and and St. Louis, Missouri, and trying to take over the rights of local authorities and replace the decision makers from local black communities by by white Republican mm-hmm. state lawmakers. It's very troubling. But the, the truth is the Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven of the last eight presidential elections. Nikki Haley said that when she announced her campaign for president. And it's a reflection of just how how sadly out of sync they are with the American public that they have to come up with all kinds of other tricks to to, to keep people distracted from the from the real issues. Yeah, and, and Keith, speaking of uh, troubling, let's 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 go to Florida, the man of the hour. I use that very loosely. Governor Ron DeSantis, how concerned are you about his possible bid for the presidency? Well, I think Ron DeSantis is uh, has been described by some people as a mini Trump. Uh, hmm. I think he's actually more dangerous than Trump hmm. because he knows government. Unlike Trump, Trump was very ignorant about the, the affairs of government. Ron DeSantis is is a smarter version of that, but he brings all the same uh, baggage that Trump does. The, 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 this whole sort of this fight that he's creating, this this fake war on wokeness, attacking critical race theory, attacking Disney, uh, the don't say gay bill, uh, attacking uh, trans kids, uh, attacking immigrants. The political stunt he did a few weeks ago, or a few a few months ago, where he took immigrants from, from Texas, brought them to Florida, and then shipped them up to Massachusetts, all because he, he's, he's trying to run this political campaign. He knows that that's what works for his base in the Republican Party in 2024. Uh, I'm not sure that he has what it takes to beat Donald Trump, though, because Donald Trump is the master of that type of demagoguery. So I think it'll be an interesting war, and uh, to see the two of them go at it uh, uh-huh. would be uh, would be uh, it would be a very fascinating fascinating experience to watch. But I think either yeah. of those candidates, Trump or DeSantis, would be devastating for our democracy. Well, another thing that might be devastating for our democracy is uh, the erosion of our right to vote. Voting rights is still on the table in the Senate. Keith, do you think that we'll see the passage of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act Advancement Act uh, uh, sooner than later? No. <laughs> the short answer is no, we won't see it. I mean, the Democrats had control over the, the, the House, the Senate, and the White House uh, for the previous two years under the Biden administration. They couldn't pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, nor could they pass the, 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 the more basic uh, Electoral Count Reform Act or even the For the People Act. There's very basic election reform legislation that has been pending in Congress for several years. And the primary reason why it can't pass, it can pass in the House and it has in the past, but it can't pass the Senate because of the existence of the filibuster. And we still have two Democratic senators, Kirsten Sinema and uh, Joe Manchin, who are opposed to eliminating the, the filibuster, even for the, the goal of protecting uh, the fundamental voting rights of all of our citizens, especially African-Americans. So without that change, without uh, something to change the either the, the filibuster rule or the presence of the composition of the people in the Senate, I don't see any hope for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which is a shame because the mm-hmm. last time the Voting Rights Act came up, 
for approval in the House and the Senate, it was passed overwhelmingly. In fact, mm-hmm. in fact not a single U.S. senator voted against it when it came up in the Senate uh, in the Bush administration. What's changed since then? That was just a few years past. What's changed is that the Republicans realize they can't win if everybody participates in democracy. Yeah, so so the states, uh, in particular southern states, denying access to abortion. You've got enacting uh, voter rights uh, suppression laws, denying black history. Why do you think the Republicans have, have postured themselves so well to be able to revo- reverse so many, you know, landmark decisions? Well, I mean, we have an anti-democratic uh, system of government, and that's really this, the, the problem. It enables them to do this. They're mm-hmm. not necessarily trying to appeal to a broader electorate. It used to be that in either party, you would sort of run to your base in the primary season and then run to the middle in the general election. Now, Republicans have decided they're just going to run to their base full scale all the time. They don't really even try to appeal to the uh, to the moderates or the, the, the persuadables, because what they will do is if they lose an election, which they have been doing overwhelmingly, they'll just say that the election is, is fraudulent or say the election is rigged and, and they won't accept the results of the election. But meanwhile, they have a system that's stacked in their favor. I mean, first, you have a House that is ultimately gerrymandered to, to favor and benefit them. You have a Senate that is disproportionately unrepresentative. So states like mine here in California, with 39 million people, we only have two U.S. senators. But tiny little North Dakota and South Dakota, with only one and a half million people combined, have four U.S. senators in a mostly white, rural, Republican, conservative two states. Uh, that's not fair. It's not democratic. Then we have the electoral college which is not democratic so we have people twice in mm-hmm. my lifetime uh with with the 2000 election and the 2016 election people who, who won the popular vote but lost the electoral electoral college vote that's not democratic and so finally you have this supreme court which is you know old, this is it's supposed to be representative of the presidencies and the people but we have six members of the Supreme Court who were appointed by Republican Supreme Republican presidents. Mm-hmm. Six out of nine of the members of the Supreme Court, two-thirds are appointed by Republican Republican presidents. And yet Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven of the last eight presidential elections. Well that's not democratic. Well we that's got a all. fundamental we, flaw in our system. We've got a lot of work to do <laughs> to get this democracy. Plenty of work to uh, do. Uh, back on track. Right. Uh, our thanks to Keith Boykin, the author of Race Against Time, The Politics of a Darkening America. It's a great book. It's on my book show. Please come back again, Keith. You're welcome here on Foxhole's Black Report anytime. Thank you both. Up next, for almost 30 years, the Universe Soul Circus has entertained and employed black Americans. Uh, when we come back, we're going to catch up with the founder, Cedric Walker, on all things new coming to the circus. This is going to be a good one. Stay close. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report. Well, Jet Magazine. Well, it don't get no blacker. The Jet it Magazine, really does honey. It Maybe really does Soul Train in Ebony, but <laughs> let me tell you something about Jet. That's right. Jet Magazine <laughs> is headed to a newsstand near you. Mm. After 63 years and thousands of issues, Jet printed its last magazine in 2014. Yeah. So this is exciting. Now the iconic publication is back for people to buy. You can hold it now and touch it and indulge and admire once again uh, with a limited collector's edition featuring Slutty Vegan CEO Pinky Cole highlighting 
highlighting her entrepreneurial journey, leading to that $100 million empire. That's right. Since Cole's first slutty vegan food truck hit the streets in January 2019, she's opened over 10 brick-and-mortar locations nationally, launched its philanthropic branch, the Pinky Cole Foundation, and authored her cookbook, and so yeah. much more. Go, Pinky, go. I know. That's a great cover shot. I love how that looks. Congratulations to, you know, Jet uh, Magazine, um, living and working in Chicago for so long. Those two, two publications, Ebony Jet, mm -hmm. were so, so iconic. Growing up on Jet, everybody wanted to see who the beauty of the week was. That's right. They also, you know, made a listing of all the top, you know, R&B songs mm -hmm. and jazz songs of the, of the week. It was just really a great place to, you know, find out what was happening. And you have to understand, Soulmates, for our younger Soulmates, this was, you know, this was before the internet. This was before, you know, social media. So this is how, you know, black folks of a certain age, a certain generation, this is how we got all our gossip. That's right. This is how we right. got all our information. And Jet wasn't really a gossipy, gossipy type magazine, but this is where you tapped in to see what was going on with the culture, whether it be entertainment, mm -hmm. you know, somebody got married, somebody got divorced, whether it be business, whether it be the beauty of the week. Yeah. It was just, so it's good to see this this coming back in this capacity. And it was a part of the trifecta. It was yeah. Ebony, Essence, Jet, mm -hmm. right? I know those were on our coffee table, you know, mm -hmm. like clockwork mm -hmm. every month, mm -hmm. right? And you're right, it was like the watering holes where, where we yeah. all went. It was, mm -hmm. it was uh, really great, and I'm glad that uh, a new generation of folks get to experience That's right. Jet, maybe the way that we experienced it. Well, Chris Brown's daughter is going viral after a recent visit to the Universal Soul Circus mm. in Los Angeles. Take a look. The singer's daughter, uh, royalty, turned all the way up with the uh, circus uh, fresh, uh, the, the clown dancers. It was, it was really something. They even gave her solo time to shine during her big top experience. The Universal Circus is known as the coolest show on earth. And for almost 30 years, can you believe it? The Universal Circus has bought its jaw-dropping combination of circus arts, theater, and music to every culture, family, and generation. People from all over the world have enjoyed thousands of shows over the years. And the fun continues. Joining us now to discuss the evolution and inspiration behind the Universal Circus is founder Cedric Walker. I want to welcome you to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you. Indeed. It's a pleasure, and thanks for having us. Absolutely. Let's start with congrats on 30 years. 30 years. It's, they said it couldn't be done. I remember the beginning days. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Detroit. Mm -hmm. I remember that. So, sure. so, so let's go back to the beginning and what inspired you to create the Universal Circus. Well, it was an idea whose time had come. Uh, family attractions in America did not have a, a, a show that reflected the urban experience, the music, the dance, the swagger, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the laughter, you know, that was celebrated in, in our culture just wasn't represented in family attractions. So we created something that represented that, that grandmother, father, daughter, son, and grandchild could all sit on the same row and enjoy each other while enjoying the show. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about Universal Circus and, and the whole experience, what we can experience. I know it's just not a black circus, but you have incorporated uh, acts of color from around the world. Talk a little bit about that. 
So our culture is so rich mm-hmm. and diverse until it impacts every culture. Yeah. It impacts global culture. So and it's shared. So young people, the circus was made up of young people, mm-hmm. 28. Who's going to fly through the air and off of a trapeze but an 18 or a 20 year old? And they all love that urban energy. They all love the hip hop. They all love the dance. They all love the music that that Universal represents. So they are drawn to to this presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we get we've got a diverse uh, group of performers that all share that common energy that that mm-hmm. that soul mm-hmm. um, that we share with the world. Yeah. But it's 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 all about audience interaction. When you come to Universal, you're in the audience, but you're part of the show. Um, call and response, you're dancing in your seat, you're mm-hmm. in the ring. Uh, we include the audience just as much as we, as the, we, we think the audience are performers as well. Mm-hmm. But it's all about uplifting culture. It's about the positive aspects of our culture. When we first created it, we thought about when blacks first were on TV, we thought about our, our achievements in sports, we thought about our spirituality. We thought about our music. So we incorporated, you know, she came to Detroit and mm-hmm. moving on up to the top, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, the Jacksons, you know, uh, music from Motown, um, the spirituality at the end of the show. So it, it's, it just encompasses the, the richness of our culture and the positive aspects of it. It, it really does. It just it just runs the gamut. So, you know, you, you start the Universal Circus. You know, how did you go about finding, you know, the talent, the artist uh, for the show? And I'm sure over the 30 years that has expanded because these acts are just unbelievable. Take, they really so, do take your breath away. They really do. As you can tell, I've been to the Universal Circus a few times myself. <laughs> So, you know, we, we traveled the world. When I first had idea, I said, well, I'm going to get a chance to travel around the world because mm-hmm. that's what I heard and read about circus um, entrepreneurs, how they found talent. And so that's what we did. But what we found early on was there, we had some great black performers that were performing in Europe. European circuses Mm -hmm. were more lenient, I would say, or more artsy, focused on art. So that was the the place where I found a lot of great black performers performing. Um, And we had some in the United States. The the Ringling Brothers had the King Charles Troop Mm -hmm. and Pamela Hernandez. So they were, they contributed as well. So... There were, but the performers that performed on these shows had to be great. So I was very fortunate to, and when the call went out for a circus that featured black performers, it was answered from around the world. It, mm-hmm. it was something that all the black performers around the world called, and so that was the first one. Um, what we found was there were very few, and it was limited to the few we found early on. Mm-hmm. So we had to go out and create training camps in these various countries. And in South Africa, there was a circus school in, in Cape Town. We created or we worked with a circus school in Guinea-Conakry. 
we, we, we work with circus schools in Ethiopia mm-hmm. and we actually set trainers to those schools or incorporated training from Chinese trainers, Russian trainers, because they're, they, they excelled in the art of circus. So let me and ask you this, Cedric. So, what do you, what do you, with that in mind, what do you think is the the big, the bigger difference, biggest difference uh, between a, a regular circus clown and a universal circus clown? I mean, <laughs> but for the soulmates so who haven't seen it, are, seen it, just seen the circus soul circus just yet. So, if you haven't seen Fresh the Clowns, you're in for a real treat. It's mm-hmm. all about the dance, the the laughter, and the music with our clowns. It's um, not built on gags, but it's just built on the urban energy and the youth mm-hmm. and the dance movements and the new dances. So, yeah, yeah. our clowns are just different. And they're out there in the, in the audience, in the aisles with you. So that's a big difference. Indeed. All right. So what is this this year's uh, schedule looking like and how can our soulmates uh, learn more about the Universal Soul Circus and, and when it's when it's coming to the individual cities that connect us, link us up? So our theme is we all belong. So we all belong in this world. We all belong, all races, all cultures at, at the Universal Circus. Mm-hmm. And right now we're currently in Los Angeles. Um, and we're moving from Los, and we're here through uh, starting, well, we just started mm-hmm. uh, this weekend, and we're here for the next six to eight weeks. And then we moved to May- Oakland in May, uh, middle of May, uh, at the Hilltop Mall in Richmond. Um, then we moved from there to Washington, D.C., at National Harbor at the 4th of July, mm-hmm. as we normally do. And then it's off to New York, to the Bronx, to, to, to Queens and Brooklyn. Amazing, um, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, for, let me say again, congratulations on 30 years. Everybody was questioning it, said it couldn't be done, said it was a, a pit bull in a lion's costume, but it's the <laughs> real deal. And it's, it's definitely a cut above. And uh, we just congratulate you. Safe travels. We can't wait till you get to a, a town, uh, you know, so all of the soulmates can partake. Uh, Cedric Walker, founder of the Universe Soul Circus. Thank you for your time today. You are an official soulmate, and we got to have you back to talk a little bit more. Travel safe on that tour as well. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Still ahead, Cardi B is calling all parents to listen up. That's right. We'll tell you the lesson she says all parents should be teaching their children right now. Following a recent video of the Dalai Lama. Hmm. Don't go anywhere. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back. Former teachers at Donda Academy, that was founded by rapper Kanye West, have filed a lawsuit alleging labor violations and restrictive school rules for students and staff. In the lawsuit, third grade teacher Cecilia Haley and fifth grade teacher uh, Shakari Byers claim that the students were only allowed to eat, get this, sushi. 
uh, that there were no janitorial services and that the school did not meet state regulations or education requirements. Additionally, the lawsuit alleges discrimination in that wages were improperly withheld. Mm -hmm. The teachers also stated that they were fired in retaliation for reporting the conditions to the school administration. The school has not yet responded to these allegations. Now, Courtney, you can't have it both ways. You can't you know, be serving the kids sushi and you ain't got janitorial services. That, that seems like a setup for something. <laughs> Listen, it doesn't appear as though, uh, you know, Kanye has uh, responded to, to the allegations in the lawsuit. I would be interested to hear maybe, because sometimes he's mm. not quite, mm. you know, I don't know. But why, why wouldn't you believe these teachers? I mean, I don't, I was reading even more into this report and I don't see any, any, like anything underhanded you know it sounds like they are really telling the truth i wonder if the parents would let the teach would let the uh, kids speak mm -hmm. you know and and talk to the conditions as well that might add a little bit more credence if in fact folks are doubting the teachers uh, but this doesn't sound like a good situation it at doesn't. all and i'm wondering you know where were the parents to whereas if this was happening why would you continue to allow your child to attend the school that just wasn't being governed quite right or ran quite right yeah. or up to par. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And I don't know if I'd send my school, my child to a Kanye West school in the first place, even when he was in his right mind. Mm -hmm. That's just me. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I just think, you know, the, the fact that uh, you can't, you can't trust everybody's cooking and you can't, <laughs> you can't just send your kids to everybody's school. Yeah. You've got to trust, yeah. but verify. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I'm not sure, uh, you know, why uh, critical mass of parents have not sort of verified these conditions mm -hmm. uh, at the school. Um, but again, you know, the school has not responded. And yeah. so, you know, maybe there's a reason for this. Who knows? But on the other side of things, you have LeBron James, whose school in Ohio is thriving and, and doing quite well. It yeah. seems to be on code with what uh, young black kids, in particular boys, uh, need. So there are some great examples out there mm -hmm. when, it, when, it, when it is working. All right, let's move on to Cardi B. Our girl has urged parents to stay vigilant and aware of what's happening in their children's lives following the release of a disturbing video in which the Dalai Lama asks a child to suck his tongue. Now, the rapper known for her outspokenness received a backlash due to her past actions of, quote, robbing men in a strip club, but uh, Cardi pointed out that they were grown drunk men who tried to take advantage of me and finesse me out of my body. Those are her words. Meanwhile, Dalai Lama's office issued a statement saying that he, quote, teases people he meets in an innocent and playful way, even in public and before cameras. I just don't understand how that addresses mm. that particular disturbing video. It's very disturbing. It it's is. very disturbing. My face is tight. I'm sure a lot of our soulmates' mm -hmm. faces are tight about mm -hmm. this, right? It is inappropriate. Let's call it what it is, right? And, you know, uh, it's, it's behavior uh, that if it were anybody else, um, I'm not sure if a simple apology, oh, I was joking, I'm would, not sure would, if that would, would work. That would work. Yeah, he's so highly, you know, regarded and just the symbol of peace and, and well-being. But uh, this right here, th it bothers me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it bothers me. And, and for me, you know, it makes you want to pull up a little bit. You mm -hmm. know, I haven't, I don't necessarily follow, but I'm just very aware. And sometimes, you know, what he'll talk about and what he discuss, you know, some of that I'll take and I'll say, hey, yeah. that works for me. But after this, 
you got to question it. Yeah. Well, I mean, this it. this incident for sure is definitely yeah. inappropriate. Sure. Well, Tory Lanez was supposed to be sentenced yesterday, but it's being pushed back because his legal team is attempting to get him a new trial. Lanes was convicted in December. The shooting happened nearly three years ago in the Hollywood Hills. He faces more than 22 years in prison and could even be deported to Canada after he serves his time. This is the saga that keeps on saga-ing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's been very long and drawn out and you, you know, you can like follow. Like a telenovela. Yeah, you can follow all the gossip and the, and the he say and the she say, but this is very serious. I mean, he has been convicted and uh, could face, you know, deportation. You know, I, I understand that his, his family and his defense folks still want to fight, you know, for his innocence because of all the rhetoric and the gossip and this evidence and people retracting what they say, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is very, very serious, and uh, it'll just be interesting to you know continue to see how this plays out. In the meeting, in between, Megan is living her best life and she looking is. fabulous. I was watching the video where she was throwing out the ball at the Houston Astros game, mm -hmm. looking marvelous, and uh, you know, it, it appears as though she has moved on from from yeah, the drama. She's moving on with her life, yeah. but you know, I think back to uh, Tory Lanez's son. Remember uh, in court mm -hmm. when when his his verdict was read, mm -hmm. and his, his young son was there. Mm -hmm and the son was in tears. And I can't get that image out of my head mm -hmm. uh, thinking about that day. And so while, while Megan, you know, is doing well and moving on, you know, I really worry about his young son and, and the effect that being in the courtroom when that verdict was read, mm -hmm. um, the effect that I'll have on him if he doesn't get the support Well, maybe dad, maybe dad will make better decisions. Uh, as, as far as him seeing how this affects not just, you know, him, but, you know, his son and his family. So maybe dad will make some better decisions. I sure hope yeah. so. All right, so let's go back to Baltimore where the Ravens are making their boldest move of the offseason. Baltimore Ravens, come on now, as one of the most desired NFL free agents is heading to the city after sitting out last uh, three years, three-time Pro Bowl wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, and the Ravens have agreed in a principle to a one-year deal reportedly worth up to $18 million. The three-time Pro Bowler last played in 2021 when he won the Super Bowl, that's Super Bowl 56, with the Rams. So congrats to him. That's right. Up next, it's our favorite segment, Black Excellence. And this one, you don't want to miss. Yeah, we'll, we'll introduce you to uh, NA, NASA's, I'm sorry, first black astronaut who will orbit uh, the moon. We'll be right back. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Hills Black Report. We want to introduce you to Victor Glover, the man set to become NASA's first black astronaut to orbit the moon. That's right. Glover was selected to take part in the space agency's Artemis II mission, the first lunar mission in a half century. Wow. Take a look. I saw a shuttle launch when I was in elementary school and I thought, I really want to fly that. And that's where it began. He is a Navy commander, a naval aviator, and a test pilot. He was selected as an astronaut in 2013. This is his first space flight, introducing NASA astronaut Victor Glover.
first and foremost, I'm just grateful to God and to my family. To work and live in space is just a humbling and amazing blessing in and of itself. This is a test pilot's dream. Flying has been such an important part of my professional life, and I love to do it. 64,000 feet, that's the highest up I've ever been above the ground. And so to get to a point beyond that, um, that'll be a little special moment. I'm a rookie astronaut, I'm the pilot, and I'm gonna be learning the ropes from a very experienced crew. Trying to balance that, enjoying and living in the moment, but also managing the responsibilities to make sure that we get to space safely. I'm looking forward to that uh, juxtaposition of emotion, I think. Tell me about how you ended up here. I think for every astronaut, that's uh, that's kind of a different story. Ooh, wow, that goes way back. So high school, athlete, um, loved being a part of a small high-performing team, wrestling and football. I was fortunate to wrestle in college while pursuing my engineering education. I actually originally wanted to be a Navy SEAL. That's what started my journey in the Navy, and I wound up deciding to go into aviation and learn to fly. The love of flying and being a part of a small, very specialized, high-performing team that gets to do things in really interesting and challenging environments. The astronaut corps is the epitome of that. This is truly an exciting time for uh, human spaceflight on our nation. And believe me, it's only gonna get better as we charge off into the future. We've been working with our partner SpaceX for years. It's been, it's just been amazing to learn about the vehicle um, and to just spend time getting to know their flight control team and their trainers. It's creating sort of a new culture that is some kind of a balance between the two. The fact that it takes thousands of people all over the world to get us ready, it's humbling and overwhelming, and I, I wanna do my best because I represent them. So thank you for your support and for your love, and know that you're flying with us on Crew One. All right, for the full rundown on today's stories like this one and more, you can access Fox Souls video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other uh, content. Don't forget, Soulmates, download the Fox Soul app because it is free. It's been another good one. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. Until next time, Soulmates, stay lifted and, and dream big. And stay safe. That's right.